Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. But in honor of Black Mirror's new season that premiered on Netflix on October 21st, I'm covering each episode of Charlie Brooker's technophobic sci-fi anthology series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com, and if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod. You can tweet me at ObsessiveViewer, send an email to Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com, or call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that is to head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes' search results. And I believe you can also leave a review on Stitcher Radio if you use that. Um, and I want to say tune in as well, but I'm not sure. Um, and finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, it is kind of the holiday season. If you want to help support the show, you can do that by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or the donate link in the show notes of this episode. Any donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and is incredibly appreciated. And also the show notes of this episode can be found at anthologypod.com slash bonus one one. Today on the show, I'll be discussing San Junipero. It's the fourth episode of Black Mirror's third season, and uh, the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, is as follows. In a seaside town in 1987, a shy young woman and an outgoing party girl strike up a powerful bond that seems to defy the laws of space and time. So yeah, um, before I get into the talent rundown and everything, just real quick, two things. One, there's going to be spoilers galore in this episode, um, so I'm going to be spoiling the entire episode of San Junipero, so if you haven't watched it yet, uh, go check it out on Netflix and then come back and listen. And the other thing is, um, I found out after wa- after re-watching the episode that they actually released the soundtrack for it, the score of it from Clint, Man- uh, Clint Manziel. Um, it's available on iTunes and I got it on Amazon music and God, it's so good. I'll talk about it in the, in the review, but I wanted to kind of give that PSA because they did also release the one for nosedive. And I think that those are the only two soundtracks that they've released. Um, I believe at least, but yeah, I'm glad that they're at least doing that. So San Junipero stars Gugu Mbatha Raw, which I'm sure I completely butchered that pronunciation. Um, she plays Kelly. Um, she was previously in uh, the movies Concussion, Free State of Jones, Jupiter Ascending. And next up is she's going to be in God Particle, which is the next Cloverfield um, movie, but uh, they just announced that they're, they're releasing a new Cloverfield movie later next year. And I believe that they're taking God particle off of the slate. So I'm not sure what the deal is with, with God particle, the movie, but she's, she's, uh, attached to be in it. And everything is so mysterious at bad robot that it's kind of hard to ascertain, but, um, yeah, so coming up, she's got God particle. Co-starring as Yorkie is Mackenzie Davis. Uh, she was previously in The Martian, and she is also in the AMC TV show Halt and Catch Fire. And she was also in a couple movies that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and just say I'm fans of. Um, that awkward moment, the kind of guy-centric rom-com with uh, uh, Zac Efron, Michael B. Jordan, and Miles Teller. I was a, I was, I'm an unabashed fan of the romantic comedy genre. So I, I liked that movie and, and she's in it. So there's a plus there. And she was also in, um, a rom-com that I wasn't too crazy about with, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Radcliffe, um, called what if, and, uh, it was okay. It was serviceable. Writer for this episode was Charlie Brooker and he, uh, this was the first episode of season three that he wrote, I believe. Um, in terms of the production order and everything. And director for this episode is Owen Harris. Um, he actually previously directed the episode Be Right Back with um, Donald Gleason and um, Haley Atwell, which was also a very emotionally driven um, story about a relationship at its core. So my initial thoughts on San Junipero is 
um, the first time I watched it, it's it's actually been a few a few weeks, several weeks since since I saw this episode for the first time, and the I came away from it feeling like this was a pretty strong contender for my favorite Black Mirror episode yet. Um, it's a beautiful story that deals with a lot of human emotions and. I felt like there was a ton of complexity to Yorkie and Kelly's relationship, and I really loved the way that they developed those characters throughout the episode. And even though in that first viewing, which is this is all stuff I'm going to get to in my review, but even though it was pretty clear early on that it was a simulation and that um, I figured out pretty early on that they're actually elderly in, in real life, um, it, didn't, it didn't detract from just an overall really beautiful story with really engaging characters. So, um, having said that, <laughs> uh, it's been a few weeks since I saw the episode for the first time, or it's been several weeks and I have kind of put off watching it, rewatching it for this bonus episode of anthology. And the reason is because this was such an emotional journey and I kind of put it off because I, I was, not scared of of having those like having emotional reactions to it again but i was just i didn't want to be confronted by having such a strong emotional uh, response to it it's i mean this isn't like i mean i wasn't like bawling my eyes out or anything but just the characterization in the story is so beautiful and so so great that i i was hesitant to or i put off watching it with a closer eye because I wanted to preserve that initial viewing experience in, in my mind as much as I could, if that, if that makes sense. Um, and I'm glad to say that rewatching it for this episode, for this, for this podcast, um, it didn't tarnish it at all. It was just, it was just as good as before. So, um, I was happy about that. So uh, watching it a second time and experiencing it, knowing everything for sure, that that's going to happen in it. Um, opening it, opening our first introduction to San Junipero with heaven is a place on earth playing on in a car radio was just fantastic. It's, it's a beautiful detail and bringing us into this, this environment that is so, that is so uh, detailed in, in San Junipero. Everything is so, ultra glossy and, and flashy and, and all the detail to the structures and, and the uh, set design for all of the scenes is really, really detailed and flashy and it, it's really well done. And since, since it's Black Mirror, you know that something about it is off, so it's not authentically the 1980s, but just seeing how everything is uh, designed in the episode is just, it really brings you into this world um, in a really, in a really, uh, visual way. I really enjoyed the way that everything was set up and and shown to us. And just the idea of a 1980s episode of Black Mirror is so cool. It's, it's such a cool thing to do. Um, because Black Mirror is so renowned and known for showing our near future. And it kind of seems like, I don't remember if Charlie Brooker said this in an interview or something, or I just imagined it, but it kind of feels like, it feels like someone said, "Hey, make a period piece episode. Make make a period episode of Black Mirror." And it feels like Charlie Brooker is just like, "Challenge accepted. I'll I'll do it." Um it's just a really unique a unique twist on what we could expect from a Black Mirror episode. Not that there is much that we can expect from Black Mirror at this point because we do have different uh different types of episodes. We have the futuristic episodes and we have the kind of more contemporary episodes that are, are more about, uh, about things going on with the characters. I'm thinking of shut up and dance and, uh, the national anthem. So there's, there's, it's, this isn't a break from the norm in the traditional sense of a TV show, um, doing something different. It's just a break from what we, the things that we've come to expect from the show, which I guess is the exact same thing as being a break from the norm. But there are so many different norms in Black Mirror that it's, that it's interesting to see this new twist on, um, what could be expected. And right off the bat, I'm noticing that Yorkie, um, is dressed very conservatively. She's, she's very, uh, 
normal, normally dressed. Um, in in contrast to the very flashy and absurd way that uh, the other people in in uh, in the club are are dressed and everything. And one of the things I really liked about this introduction to it is we see the different social aspects of it. Um, so she's in the arcade the arcade section and uh the guy starts talking to her and he he seems very timid and and shy and she she seems pleasant but she's not engaged with him like she's she's a pleasant person but she's not blowing him off because she's this is new to her this is uh this is a new experience and he seems very timid and and very uh awkward um and he has this icebreaker about the game that she's playing had having two different endings depending on if you're uh playing one player or two player and i mean that's just on the surface that's a, that's a good like icebreaker scene because it feels very natural to have um that kind of that kind of scene play out that kind of social scene play out where this guy's hitting on this girl essentially in a club um only to be shot down um that's a very natural icebreaker but i couldn't help but think that it, it reminds me of what uh, Charlie Brooker had said about wanting playtests to be um, different on repeat viewings and have different, different uh, having it set up through Netflix to have some kind of different experience depending on, on how you watch it or um, having it like a nightmare mode, I think is how he described it. And I kind of wonder if he laid that, that dialogue into San Junipero just as kind of a a little wink at it thinking that they would be able to work out the logistics of that for playtest, but it didn't pan out. So it's not, it's not distracting or anything. It's just something that I, I felt I would highlight here in this episode. And I really hope that they at some point do something like that. I think that could be really cool if they could have a different, uh, different experience on different viewings through Netflix. I, I think that would be really cool. And going back to kind of the social aspect of this episode, it's just, it's really fun and interesting. This this is a it's a night out in a party town, so people are meeting one another and bumping into each other's lives. It's it's just a really cool social experience here um to kind of bring us into it. It's a good way to kind of get us to the tone of the episode or the tone of the setting rather. And then Kelly rejecting Wes outside of the club is kind of an extension of that. And that's where we get kind of our first clue that something is something is that things aren't as they seem in San Junipero because Wes says that we have a couple hours and I mean, that's fine. I, I like that they laid that groundwork there. It, it kind of hits a, hits a bit of a redundant point uh, later on in the episode that I'll get to, but I like that they have that scene because it, it's our introduction to Kelly and it kind of hints at some of her, not behavior, but her personality within San Junipero. And then uh, Yorkie talking to the guy in the arcade and then her seeing the car crash on the, on the game and, um, that completely derailing the encounter and, and her like leaving at that moment. Um, there's a lot there cause it hints at her, at her backstory. And it's also another, uh, another example of the social aspect of this episode because the guy that she's talking to just <laughs> seems it's a very genuine way that he beats himself up over it after she, after she blows him off. Cause he doesn't know anything about her or he doesn't know what set, what set her off on that reaction. He thinks that it's, it appears that he thinks that he, that he did it himself and that he's just not, it seems like he's internalizing it and it's, uh, it's, uh, a major blow to his ego. And this is all intercut between, between Kelly and Yorkie Kelly outside of the club. And he, uh, Kelly mentions to Wes that she just has this offhand remark saying, do I have to red light you? Which reminded me of the blocking um, technology in the Christmas special. And also around the same time in the scene, in, in the, in the actual club, uh, the bartender someone someone says that he's blonde and he says i'm blonde and that made me wonder how it all works um it made me wonder if he does he work for the company or is is he someone who like his lifelong dream was to be a bartender in a club or maybe he was and that's what he's reliving uh, that would actually make more sense that he's that he used to be one and that he's reliving the glory days 
or his prime years, essentially. But it, that kind of left some left uh, some questions for me. But it's not anything that's ruinous to the ruinous to the episode or anything. I, if anything, it's it's good set decoration and good. Um, uh, it's something to ponder rather than nitpick. And speaking of um, <laughs> um, nitpicking, not really nitpicking, but uh, that's that's a terrible segue. But Kelly, when when Kelly and Yorkie are talking, um. First of all, they're they're meet cute where where Kelly uh finds Yorkie to kind of get Wes away from her. Um and then we get that ugh, like God, the um I'm all over the place. I'm so sorry. We get her saying that she's saying that Yorkie has uh six months to live, and then Yorkie says, uh I think she says five months to live. Um and that's that's so dark when you watch it again, because you know what's really going on with them. But the way that it's the encounter plays out is such a classic, like meet cute thing in like a romantic comedy or romantic drama. It's, it's a really, it's a really strong way for them to get together and, and to have that, uh, have us connect with them as a couple early on. And then Kelly comments on everyone's attire in the club and how, everyone is dressed very loudly and very eighties and how people, she says people try so hard to look how they think they should. And I think that that's a really, um, interesting because these people are in this world in San Junipero and it's something that's, that's expanded upon later in the episode, but they're there so that they can experience a time or experience a youth that they no longer have and them trying so hard to look how they should, how they think they should because of the era or um, what have you is them escaping from their real life. And that's, that's why Yorkie's attire, her, her, her clothing are so true to her because she's experiencing this for the first time, essentially. I'll get to that in a bit, but it's just a really interesting comment from Kelly that she's pointing out how everyone um, is trying really hard to to create that '80s feel. Um, and and when she gets excited about wanting to dance, um, like her excitement is so infectious. It's like I don't know. She's she screams and she jumps up and then she she pulls Yorkie to the dance floor. I think that it was just it was just really infectious. Like it made me really, um, excited. Like I was, I was really happy. Um, yeah. And, and I think that that's the perfect counterbalance to Yorkie's ultra shy conservative persona that she's not, she's very, um, reserved. Um, and it's important or it's nice that she's not like completely turned off by Kelly. She's not, she's not like, Oh, this, this crazy party girl is trying to, trying to uh, persuade me into her party girl lifestyle. It's more that Kelly is intrigued by her or I'm sorry, Yorkie is intrigued by Kelly. And it's, it's like Kelly is unlocking feelings in Yorkie that she doesn't, she doesn't know how to process because she's never, I I don't know if it would be fair to say she's never she's never had to process it, but if she has, it's been over forty years since she's had to process those feelings. So this is all new to her, and it's really it's really uh, great that that scene is is just really fantastic, and 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 it's why the relationship that forms between the two of them feels so genuine. Um, they're so they're not they're not necessarily like complete opposites. But they have very different. They're very they're very much driven in different ways, and their drives in San Junipero are both based on their emotional history and and I love that they 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 find each other and they come together in such a such a great way um, because of that. And the conflict that comes up at the end of the episode between them is a reflection of how different they are from one another. And that's what makes the entire story of Kelly and Yorkie really, really, uh, really remarkable and really easy to latch onto, um, from an emotional perspective. And then this night in San Junipero kind of ends with Kelly propositioning Yorkie cause she runs out of the club 
uh, because she was afraid that people were that people were staring at her. And the dialogue in this scene, oh my god, it's so great! I, I so I, I I so great. Why did I say it's I so great? It's so great because when Kelly asks Yorkie if she wants to go home with her, um, Yorkie says, "I never did anything like that," and I love that that line because it's it's subtly hinting at the truth of what's going on in San Junipero and the truth of these characters but it's it's said in such a way that that you don't really register it that she's saying i never did or I, she's that she's saying i never did anything like that instead of i've never done anything like that and it also has kind of a kind of a more depressing undertone to it because Yorkie already thinks of her life as over. Um, and I mean, at this point in her life in the real world, it is, it is, you know, she's at the end of her end of her life. And this, this being her first night in San Junipero, it's, it's like waking up in a new world for her. And that's something that really, um, came through to me in a big way with, uh, Mackenzie Davis's performance. I thought that it was just spectacular. And I didn't mention this before, but this episode is broken up into little segments, so or nights in San Junipero, essentially. So the next one is we get this, we get this, uh, this marker on the screen saying one week later, and we see Yorkie trying on different styles. And going back to what Kelly said um, earlier in the episode, it just reveals more about her character and and how she's processing things or, or how she, how she thinks she should perf- not perform, but should act or appear in San Junipero. And Yorkie eventually comes to the decision that she wants to dress more like herself. And it's really interesting because this, this scene where her, she's trying on different, different outfits and different, uh, different styles. It's interesting to me because San Junipero isn't about experiencing different things that you missed out on or a different or different time periods of of your life. It's not about that for Yorkie specifically. Um because of Yorkie's circumstances where she was in a car accident when she was 21 and had never never had has been uh has never had a full life essentially. Um what San Junipero is for Yorkie is that it's about finding out who she is because she never got that opportunity in her real life. And it's, it's really great that they show this scene, even though they already, they've already pinpointed that. Yeah. Okay. Yorkie is dressed very plainly, um, in contrast to everyone else in, in San Junipero, but they still put this scene in because it shows that, that this is her experiencing her life um, rather than rather than uh, reliving a prime, her prime years in San Junipero, and then and then the next scene. This is what I was talking about. This is probably one of the only only issues I have with the episode is that is that uh, Wes was trying to get with Kelly again. Um, they're outside. They're kind of in an alleyway, and they're talking about uh, Wes is trying to get her to to have sex with him again. And the scene itself just didn't didn't work for me that much. Um, for starters, it's redundant. We've already seen Wes trying to get with Kelly. Uh, Kelly's already threatened him, already gotten away from him. That really should be all that we need the Wes character for. Um, granted, we will see him again in the Quagmire later in the episode, but this doesn't this scene could be lifted right out because we've already seen her reject him, and we've already seen um, her use him to meet Yorkie like that served that purpose here. He's just trying to, he's trying to get with her and it's more, um, it's more of a wink to the audience. Um, and unfortunately his dialogue kind of completely spills the beans on the episode for me, at least. Um, Kelly says that there are hundreds, if not thousands of women in San Junipero. And to that Wes says the locals, they're like dead people. But I, the way that he puts the emphasis on the word dead, um, he says, I think he says it like, they're like dead people. 
instead of saying like they're like dead people. It's a very small nitpick here, but the way that he says it just made me think like, oh, maybe they are actually dead people. That's weird. Um, it's just the the delivery of it was just terrible for me, and that that really just showed the hand of the episode for me. And then to make matters even worse, in the very next line, he says. I don't want some boring romance, okay? Like, Jesus, put us in a retirement home deal. Like that, like I'd already been um, uh, signaled that the people in San Junipero, the locals are dead people. Like that just seemed, that first viewing when I watched it, I was like, oh, that's that's what it is. That's what's going on. And then he says that, and I hear retirement home deal, and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if, I wonder if uh, if the if this is all a simulation for old uh, people in in a retirement home, and I don't know, just that whole dialogue, that whole scene, just seems like way too much of a wink to the audience, and it just telegraphed too much about the episode for me um, and in the story. But that's not to say that it's a bad thing that at least that the, that the concept of San Junipero is a bad thing. Um, in fact, when I heard that line and when I started putting that together in my head, I immediately thought, man, I hope that's what San Junipero is. (laughs) Like I got actually prepared to be upset if that wasn't where the episode was leading. And, um, I was going to be, I was going to be very disappointed. Like I remember specifically thinking I'm, this is, it sucks because if it turns out to be something else, I'm always going to have that thought in my head as a better alternative because I don't think I couldn't think of a scenario that would be better than, than the one that I had conjured up because of that line. Fortunately, that is what happens, but it's also a bummer that they had to put in that line and it, it kind of spoiled it for me essentially. Um, and I just, and I, I think that the problem, I think that it's, it's definitely a problem that the scene itself is, is redundant and it stood out to me even before I knew what was really going on. Like I said, that first, that first viewing is all, um, in that scene, that's, that's where it showed its hand and watching it again for a second time, like that scene stands out even more. And I feel like every time I revisit it, it's going to be, it's going to stand out even more. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to stick out. And then in the actual club, we get the song, uh, living in a box. I think that's the name of it. I don't know, but that's just what the lyrics are. Um, and I thought that was a nice touch. All the music in this episode is a nice touch, all the licensed music. And Kelly's in in the club talking to a guy and he mentions, um, I never got this song kind of weird. And I, I don't know. I thought that that was kind of, I thought that was a cute wink to the audience, I guess. So I want to kind of highlight the technical aspect of this episode and that the camera work, essentially, I, I really love the way that the camera moves in this, in this episode. And I love how they found ways to show how isolated and alone uh, Yorkie is when she's in the middle of a crowded club. Like there's a scene where she's sitting, sitting alone, sipping a drink and like everyone in the background is dancing, having a great time, but she is sitting alone on this little couch in the club and she's like perfectly center. So you see there's empty space to her left and right. And she's just, she's just slowly sipping this, this, um, this drink kind of looking around and seeing, uh, or watching Kelly. And then the camera, as the camera moves in, it cuts between that and then, uh, back to Kelly, who's talking to the really boring guy and just that visual symmetry that, that showing cutting back and forth between these two characters in these two situations in the same club, it really helps grow the connection between them. And it really makes you, you know, yearn for them to get together and, um, and to, to be together. And in this case, Kelly is playing hard to get and, Yorkie just doesn't know how to work that. She doesn't know what um, what to do. And at that point, Yorkie makes a decision to go into go with her into the bathroom um, and just basically tell her that she doesn't know what to do, and uh, and asks her to guide her. And I think I thought that that was a really sweet moment, and it showed the vulnerability of Yorkie in a really a really great way for her to 
want to want to experience or have this opportunity to experience this this time with with Kelly, but she is she's not completely helpless. Like she she knows that she doesn't have the life experience to really to really know how to interact with Kelly in this scenario, but she's assertive enough that she's asking her to to help her. And in it at that moment it kind of made me wonder if if that was the moment um when Kelly when Kelly accepts her accepts her and, and takes her home with her. Um it kind of made me wonder if at that moment we're meant to think that Kelly is more compassionate toward Yorkie or if Kelly is uh or if maybe Kelly has seen this sort of still closeted attraction um before. Um at this at this point in the story, Kelly is obviously attracted to Yorkie, but I was wondering if they were on the same wavelength emotionally. Um, or if at that point Yorkie is still just kind of a conquest for Kelly. And I think that, I think that that's kind of answered later is that after they hook up, I think that that's when Kelly starts to feel an emotional connection with, with Yorkie. And that's when she opens up. But before they actually do that, when they go, when they go back to, to Yorkie or to Kelly's, um, beach house, um, I, for all the times or for the, the couple times with Wes where they wink at the audience about it, um, in a kind of an overt way or in a way that tips, tips, uh, tips the hand a little bit. There is a scene where like between Yorkie and Kelly that, that conceals it well. Like I'm thinking there, there's a scene when they go back to, uh, Kelly's where Yorkie is looking at a picture of a woman that Kelly has framed on the, on the, uh, on the, on the bedside table. And it just says, happy birthday, Allison. And it's a, it's a, it's a woman. And Yorkie just says, is this your mother? And what I love about that is Kelly just starts kissing her instead of answering, answering her. And I thought that was a great misdirect for the audience. That's a great way to, um, do that. Cause it's not, it's not shown as a mysterious thing. Like, Oh, who's this mysterious woman in this picture? It's just that Yorkie is anxious or that she is nervous and she's, you know, trying to have an icebreaker and Kelly is just trying to push, push herself forward or push the relationship forward since Yorkie isn't able to. Um, I thought that was a really great way to mislead or misdirect the audience while still kind of signaling to us that there's, there's something amiss with uh, San Junipero from us. And then after they've, after they've uh, slept together, Kelly starts revealing her backstory to, to Yorkie. And this is, this is the moment where her attraction for Yorkie becomes real for us at least. And I love the way that the dialogue conceals the truth of everything. It's, it has, it's filled with like these double meanings that um, could be, could be, um, could be applied to the real world or the uh, San Junipero world. So she says that she talks about her husband and that she loved him and he chose not to stick around. And then she says that now it's me and I'm passing through and before I leave, I'm going to have a good time. And that's just, that just, that just sums up the character of Kelly so well. And it's really great characterization and it comes from a place of such honest emotion and the performance um in that scene is just spectacular i I loved it um and i love that it served the double purpose of also concealing the truth of what's going on and it also made me wonder like kelly is this character who up to this point we kind of think well she's had um like she's she's had her bisexuality like she's she's lived her um she's lived her life as a party girl and she's had this she knows what it's like to be with a woman and and be with a man and everything in a way that that uh Yorkie doesn't know uh, or at least she doesn't know how to be with a woman um but it also kind of reveals it, it reveals that this scene this backstory reveals that Kelly also kind of you kind of imagine or assume that she's also kind of repressed her bisexuality because, um, because she was in this long-term monogamous heterosexual relationship. And it's just interesting to me that they're kind of coming from the same, the same place, um, 
in terms of their history somewhat it's a it's a loose loose connection obviously because they're coming from very different backgrounds but in terms of exploring their um uh in in Kelly's case bisexuality and in Yorkie's case um uh the homosexuality it's just interesting that they've they've never it's interesting that San Junipero is an experience for them to really ex, uh explore their sexuality um, in ways that they never could throughout their life. So we get another break where we see one week later and Kelly is nowhere to be found. And this is so true to that character. And it's such a great way to introduce conflict in a genuine and organic way. Yorkie is looking all over the place for, for Kelly, but she can't find her and she gets tipped off that she's at the quagmire. So she goes, she goes to the quagmire to search for her and you can feel just how tense and somewhat dangerous Yorkie feels when she's, when she's in the quagmire. And even though this is San Junipero and you don't really have, there's not really a, uh, a threat there. Um, granted, if you're watching for the first time, that's not, that's not really a, uh, that's not really a, th- uh, it doesn't really track that, it's not threatening to her essentially. Like she's not when watching for the first time, you wouldn't think that she's, that she's not in any danger. Um, that's a really convoluted way of saying it. Watching the, for the first time, you believe that she is in danger, but watching on repeat viewings, when you know how the story works out and you know how the, how San Junipero works, even though she's not in any physical danger per se, um, you still feel how tense and dangerous the situation is that she's in. And I just love the design of, of that, of the quagmire. Cause it's, it's in such stark contrast to what we've seen or throughout the, throughout the whole episode. It's not this glossy, fun eighties aesthetic. It's this, it's this edgier, like grungy eighties, uh, kind of, uh, Mad Max style thing. And it's, it's really, it's really great how they have those, those two contrasts in it, um, in the different, different areas of San Junipero. I I like that a lot. And then we get Yorkie meeting Wes there and we kind of get this, uh, not exposition dump, but well, I guess sort of an exposition dump. We get this, um, a reveal of the true character of Kelly or, or really what she does in San Junipero and how that affects other people and why she's, why she's running away from Yorkie in such a way. And we get confirmation in that scene that this is some sort of simulation because Wes says, um, again, Wes kind of just showing, showing the audience what's, what's going on. Um, he, he says that maybe she's in a different time period, like the nineties. Um, which I don't know. Well, I can't say for certain, but I feel like this is the closest we'll get to like a time travel episode of Black Mirror. Although technically, I guess the time dilation thing and the eggs and the Christmas special kind of worked that way. But I think this is the closest we'll get to an actual time travel episode. But I love it. I I love it for that either either way. And somewhat as somewhat as a surprise, we get another break to another week later. This time in a different font. I like that we get this sequence where we're hopping through time with, with Yorkie as she's searching for Kelly. And for me personally, I'm, I mean, I'm 30 years old. When I, when I saw the nineties, I freaking loved it. Um, the scream poster, um, in place of where the lost boys was in the eighties. I just, I, I loved that so much because scream for me in slight tangent scream for me is one of my favorite movies. It's like the movie that I watched when I was, a, a little too young for it. And just, it made me love movies or it made me want to love movies the way that the characters love movies. So it kind of, I credit scream with, with, um, putting me on a path that eventually led me to do podcasts about movies and TV. But anyway, um, in, in the sequence when Yorkie is searching high and low for Kelly, um, I love the music that plays. It's, it's in the, uh, it's in the soundtrack. It's a Clint Mansell score. And the music that's playing is so ethereal and otherworldly, and it really hammers home how alone Yorkie feels as she's searching for Kelly. And she's, you kind of get this, this emotional pain 
that she's feeling because she's been, you know, she's been rejected by someone that she cared about. Um, and then we get a jump to the early, early two thousands and we see like, instead of scream or the lost boys, it's the born identity, um, better games in the, in the, uh, arcade and then DDR, uh, dance dance revolution. And she finally finds her <laughs> playing, playing a game with that, with the guy from before. And they, they get this, they get this, um, conversation between them they they have this conversation in the bathroom or this argument where yorkie says you don't know what this means and kelly kind of looks around and says this like referring to san junipero means fun and that that those lines that's such a that's such a succinct and perfect summation of their opposing viewpoints and i just i loved it i i loved that because it's it just really it really hammers home exactly what what the difference between these these characters mean uh mean to one another and then we get this very twilight zone esque moment when kelly punches the mirror and shatters the glass and then she looks down and sees that her hand has not been injured at all and then looks up to see a clean mirror that's not been broken and like that just evoked such a twilight zone feel to me um I don't know if it resonated in that way within with with other people, but I just got I just definitely got a Twilight Zone vibe out of that, um, and I I I loved it, and that kind of leads to the rooftop scene, which you kind of get this fear that Yorkie is gonna is gonna jump and uh, quote unquote kill herself, and that's when Kelly really opens up. Um, and says that she doesn't want to like anyone. And she has the uh, very authentic concern that she doesn't know how much time there is. And I don't know, just the emotion in that scene and in this episode overall is just so, so visceral and so great. It's, it's, it's really amazing. And they kind of reach this point where they, they decide to, be together and they're they're together in that moment and that's that's when they the conflict of their relationship is resolved and then that brings a, us to um them having conflicting viewpoints about if they should stay in G- San Junipero or die and i just i first of all i just love the plotting of this episode <laughs> nothing about it is drawn out and each turn of the plot feels just very organic and nothing overstays its welcome. I mean, we get Kelly and Yorkie getting together, and then we're introduced to what will become the conflict between them and whether they should stay or pass on. Um, and in between those two things, we get Kelly running away from Yorkie because she's afraid of how much she um, cares for her. It's just the way that everything is plotted and comes together is, is really fantastic. And Yorkie has this really subtle naivete that feels just so authentic and true to her character and her character's history. Um, because she says, I think in that moment she says that she doesn't understand why anyone wouldn't, wouldn't want to pass on or wouldn't want to stay in, uh, San Junipero. And it's just, that's laying the breadcrumbs for their big fight at the end. And I think that that's just so in keeping with what Yorkie's character is, um, and her character history points toward, um, because she is, um, cause she, cause she experienced her accident when she was at a young age. She's 21. She's not, she has she doesn't have the life experience that, that Kelly does. And again, Clint Mansell's score. Um, there's the scene when, uh, Kelly tells Yorkie that she wants to visit her in the real world. Um, I believe the track is waves crashing on it on distant shores of time. Um, by Clint Mansell. It's, it's beautiful. It's so perfect. And that's when we get our first transition from San Junipero to the real world. And there's the scene, the scene that, uh, cuts to the real world. There's a shot that it fades to black and then opens up to, to white. And the shot is of a nurse's hand as, as Kelly is about to take it in real life to guide her, to the car to go to, um, to go to Yorkie. And I feel like that scene, the way that it's composed, um, 
your uh Kelly's hand and 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 figure is um out of focus and we're focused solely on the hand of the nurse. Um I feel like the way that the way that that is done, I feel like the imagery um makes us think that we're seeing a child wandering through a field about to grab an adult's hand for guidance. Um I have no idea if that's intentional or if I'm just simply projecting, but that's kind of what I felt when I first saw that moment, that scene, that shot. Um, it just kind of evoked, um, evoked youth into it, um, into the, into the scene. It made me think of youth in a way that if the, in a way that if the show was intending that, um, it, it did it really well. (laughs) Um, and it's kind of in keeeping with the themes of the episode as well. So I, th- I thought that was kind of nice. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but that's what I took out of it. Um, and in the actual scene in the hospital or, or retirement community, I'm not sure which which it was, but with Yorkie in in the bed on the respirator and and you know being um, completely uh, non responsive and everything, it's such a, a beautiful and and sad scene. Um, Kelly kissing uh Yorkie's forehead is such such a beautiful and heartwarming moment and the actual set of the place that she's in uh, that that Yorkie's in is uh beautifully designed as well it's it's very white and sterile it's uh futuristic but not too futuristic which is exactly what you can describe pretty much everything about Black Mirror but it's just a very beautiful, a beautiful set to to have this uh, this very big moment for this uh, for this relationship at the core of the story um, play out. It's it's great. And then we meet, we actually meet Greg, um, Yorkie's quote unquote fiance, and you know it's funny I haven't even mentioned him at all because we do get that backstory with Yorkie early on. We get the we get the explanation that she does have a fiance. And I didn't mention that before because it wasn't really that pertinent. It's more, that was more mystery driven than anything. It's not the way that, uh, it's not like, it's not like it was presented in a way that, um, I guess that's not fair. It wasn't, I was going to say it wasn't presented in a way that made Yorkie, that made Yorkie and Kelly's relationship seem more taboo or not taboo, but, um, more like a secret. Um, that Yorkie was experimenting um, or anything. It was just more of a throwaway thing that was more mysterious than anything. But anyway, when we actually meet Greg and, and Kelly talks to him, he delivers this big exposition dump um, that reveals the tragic backstory of Yorkie. And I didn't mind it as an exposition dump. I think that it was pretty necessary, but maybe it it could have been done a little bit more organically because, I mean, he's literally sitting at a table explaining everything about Yorkie's life to Kelly. And I think that maybe it would have been, I don't know, maybe it would have been a little bit better. Uh, I guess I don't know how they could have done that without tipping their hand or tipping their, uh, is that the expression tipping your hand or tipping your hat? I don't know. Um, (laughs) Um, without showing their hand, if, uh, if maybe Yorkie had explained to Kelly in, in bed, but maybe that would have been overdoing the, the emotional connection. I don't know. Um, this is why I'm, I'm not a screenwriter. I'm just, I comment on people's work. Um, but Greg throws out like little, little, uh, little tidbits here. He says that, uh, he and Yorkie talk on the com box a lot. And you just get the sense that Greg as a character, he's, he's such a good person. (laughs) Like, Oh my God. Like he, like he works in this place and he, like, he's not like, he wants to marry Yorkie so that she can, so that she can go to San Junipero forever and let like pass over into San Junipero. And it's such a, it's such a noble thing for a character to do to some, to, to another, for another person. It's a, it's really great. But at this point, we all know what's going to happen. We know that Kelly is going to marry her and it's, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, and when it's done or when it's, uh, revealed that that's, what's going to happen, it's, uh, it's a very beautiful and emotional moment and it makes the entire episode just, it really brings home the entire episode. It's incredible. Um, and we also get a little peek at how they, 
get to San Junipero. There's just this little like disc that they put on their, on their temple, um, that lights up and that just, that transports their mind to San Junipero. And I like the simplicity of that. It, it doesn't need to be explained anymore or it doesn't need to be any more complicated than what we see because it's not about the technology. This episode is not about that technology. Um, this is about the characters and we just get a very simple thing. And then I didn't think anything, anything more of it about how they, how they, uh, got to San Junipero and the beachfront, um, <laughs> proposal. I mean, that brought tears to my eyes. It, it was just so beautiful. Ah, it's so great. And then, and then the show just goes right into the wedding without even breaking like the music cues or anything. It's just, it's, it's great. And the score in that scene is so simple and sincere that it's just a wonderful moment in this episode. And honestly, the episode could have ended right here. Like it could have ended at that moment and it still would have been my favorite episode. Um, like actually Yorkie on the beach watching the ocean and taking off her glasses and feeling the breeze, that would have been a wonderful ending to this episode, but the relationship itself needs its conflict and we need that resolution and we need the answer to the question of what is going to become of these two. And if they're going to live out their days on San Junipero or live out their eternity in San Junipero. And it's, it's a rough, it's a rough conflict to end the episode. It's, it's rough. Um, Yorkie asking Kelly to pass over and stay in San Junipero with her is what this entire episode has been building toward. And Yorkie hasn't had the life experience that Kelly's had. So she can't comprehend what exactly Kelly is feeling or can't, she doesn't understand the conflict that Kelly has or the life experience that Kelly brings with her to this, to this dilemma that they have. And this is the moment where Yorkie's kind of naivete and, and, um, age is shown, I guess, age, um, lack of, lack of, uh, life experience, I should say. Um, because Yorkie, and this is so brutal. Yorkie tells Kelly that, Kelly's husband was selfish and it's so brutal, but it's, it's perfectly in line with her character and she's frustrated. She wants this woman that she loves to stay with her. Um, and just, it just really compounds the idea that Yorkie is young and naive And Kelly's response to that, um, is amazing. It's, it's maybe my favorite, scene in the movie or movie. Wow. Um, in the episode, because she talks about, she was with her husband for, for 49 years and they lost a child together when, when their when, when their daughter was, uh, I think in her thirties. Um, and it's just the acting in that scene is, is outstanding and it comes from a place of genuine pain and this sense of just shock and hurt. And it also, we get the reveal that the reason that Kelly's husband didn't pass over into San Junipero is his, his reasoning was that um, he couldn't because their daughter missed out. And I don't know, just the way that that is revealed it's, it's, it's a gut punch. It's such a gut punch to me because there is such a complexity to Kelly's, um, emotional history and emotional, um, place here that you get the sense, you understand why she doesn't, she's so conflicted because she, like, she hasn't cared for someone the way that, um, she cares for Yorkie in a long time. And she, and, and she lost the love of her life, the person that she spent, um, she was spending her life with. And not only that, but she lost her daughter too. And it, it, everything about it is that alone is so tragic and sad. But then you get the fact that her husband didn't, didn't want San Junipero because he wanted to be with their daughter. And, um, to contrast that with Kelly not believing in heaven or the real afterlife or anything. Um, she, she doesn't have that peace of mind to think that, that her husband and her daughter are somewhere, um, 
together, spending spending time together because she doesn't believe in that. And it's it's such a complex and incredible um, characterization. Um, and it's it's just so so tragic and sad. It, and it really kind of hammer hammers home why it's so it brings to light why there's such a conflict with Kelly about wanting to stay in San Junipero. And then, so after the fight, Kelly crashes the car and I, I didn't quite get it. Um, really? Um, I, my, my understanding of it is that she's angry, upset, and she wants to dull the pain of the fight and the emotion that she's feeling. Um, so, so she crashes. It's kind of the same as, um, her wanting to just have sex with people and, and be a party girl in San Junipero, uh, to kind of, um, detach herself from the emotional, the emotional side of things. Um, I feel like that's what they were going for. It, it, it that's my best guess, at least I, unless there's other, unless there's some other reason that I'm missing completely, that's, that's, as far as I can understand it. Um, I do like the, the imagery though of, of Yorkie being there when, when Kelly crashes and then, and then Kelly just completely disappearing cause it's, uh, the time is up for her in San Junipero. Um, in that montage that comes after that, and this is, oh God, this episode's so good. Um, the montage of Kelly getting more sick, um, and just, just hearing her wheeze, it, it's painful. It's painful to hear. And seeing that she's faced with her mortality, and that's kind of what makes her decide to pass over. I kind of think that the montage of her, of her getting sicker and sicker, kind of, it didn't, I feel like there wasn't enough to really, <laughs> this is a terrible thing to say. It wasn't enough to get her to con, like, to convince her to, to be with Yorkie, uh, for me. I think that, we didn't get, we just get like, uh, her realizing that she's, that she's doesn't have much time left. And it's kind of a, more of a timeliness than anything, um, deciding that she, in terms of deciding, in terms of her deciding to go to San Junipero, it's more, well, she's definitely coming to the end of it now. And so she, she kind of makes the choice to, to pass over because she's dying and not because, no, that's not fair. I was going to say because, and not because she wants to be with Yorkie. Um, that's not fair and that's not accurate. She makes the choice because she's dying and she, she doesn't want to die. Um, and, and that's fine. That That's fine. It just, I don't know. It, I kind of, kind of wish there was a little bit more to her, uh, decision rather than a, a quick montage. Um, but then the, <laughs> And then the episode ends and my God, the song heaven is a place on earth is so freaking perfect. Like it is just so perfect. And it, it sends chills throughout my entire body. Um, and I love that. I love that ending where we see, um, uh, I, I, I assumed that it was pronounced ticker systems, um, the, the corporation that has all the, all the servers and everything, but, um, judging from the track listing on the soundtrack, um, I think it might actually be Tucker systems, but anyway, we see, we see a shot of the servers and like <laughs> my immediate reaction was just, God, I hope that place has like a dozen fail safes in place in case there's a power outage or something. Cause that would be just terrible. Um, and I just, I, I think that, I think that it's just absolutely beautiful that the final shot of Yorkie and Kelly is them dancing in slow motion. And I think that it's the perfect way to end this episode because finally Yorkie's dancing and, and she's with someone she loves and they're together and, and it's just, ah, oh, it's such a beautiful episode. It's, it's fantastic. I love this freaking episode. Um, yeah. So anyway, my closing thoughts on this episode <laughs> are that it's freaking beautiful and it encompasses everything that I love about Black Mirror. Um, I didn't want, I, I at no point wanted to leave San Junipero or these characters or their story. I felt so connected with them and connected with their separate, both their separate and joint journeys. And 
again, it encompasses everything I love about Black Mirror. It's a it's a semi futuristic thing, very science fiction driven, um, very emotionally. Uh, at the core, it's a very emotional story about characters and, and like character dynamics and relationships. Um, it reminded me a little bit of 15 million merits and it's really hard to, it's really hard to, uh, rank it with amongst the rest of the episodes because I loved 15 million merits so much, but I, I honestly think that San Junipero might, might win out for my favorite episode of black mirror so far, it's, it's just really spectacular and just astounding. And I mean, like my last bit of notes on this episode is, uh, is just good luck. Good luck ever topping this, uh, Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones. Like it's because this, I don't see how they can top it. I really don't, but this was fantastic and hopefully they, uh, can do that and hopefully they will accept that challenge. (laughs) Okay, so to kind of wind down, this is obviously my my reviews over, but um as I've been doing in the past uh reviews uh for these bonus episodes. Um Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones did an AMA on Reddit and I kind of wanted to read some of the responses that pertain to San Junipero. So, I'll do that and then we'll end the episode here. Let's see. There was apparently a theory that um, Charlie Brooker had Charlie Brooker had um, written the episode, uh, the entire episode, based around a, a picture of two two women in in at an eighties arcade, um, standing in front of a uh, of an arcade game, and uh, their response was sadly no, but that's the DVD cover sorted for the D for the day. It never comes out on DVD. Um, which, which I just, I really, which is something I really liked. I thought that that was kind of cheeky, um, because it's a Netflix show and they're, they're not gonna, I doubt that they'll release it on Blu-ray. I wish they did. I wish that Netflix, I wish that Netflix original series came out on Blu-ray with extensive special features, like, like how HBO does. Um, I just, that's just a pet peeve of mine with, with this, um, streaming, the era of streaming television. Um, let's see. So another question on, uh, the Reddit AMA that pertained to San Junipero was, um, someone said, I was wondering if you were ever tempted to drop in a darker ending for San Junipero, or was it always your intention to tell a much happier story in comparison to the majority of the other Black Mirror episodes? And their response was, it was the intention to vary the tone of the season. The ending just came out that way because we loved the characters and wanted to gift them a happy ending, which, uh, which is, which is great. Um, and then another question actually from someone with the username San Junipero was, did you expect San Junipero to be a big deal, not only within the LGBTQ community, but for everyone? I mean, every social network is going nuts with Kelly and Yorkie. You must know that. And his response was, we've been delighted by the response to it. We see it as a universal love story. The fact it's about two women is both significant and insignificant. Significant in that they get married in 1987, which wasn't possible at that time in reality, and that kind of chimed in with the whole theme of reliving your life and exploring possibilities afresh. And insignificant in that it's a love story between two people, so that it's been great to see a positive reaction from across the board. And I agree, that's great. And that's something I didn't really talk about that much in my my review, but it's it's such a great... It's a great episode because the emotion is so um like it's it's a great and important episode obviously but it's so universal the the relationship in it that it's it's beautiful i i just yeah um but it does have significant social importance and i think that it's it's a wonderful um episode for that for that to carry that kind of message um and the last question on the Reddit AMA regarding San Junipero was, um, <laughs> was heaven is a place on earth, the partial inspiration for San Junipero, or did someone just do an incredible job sourcing music for the episode? And, uh, the response was, 
I can't recall when it came into the process, but I was running and it came up on a Spotify 1987 playlist I'd put together and I sort of went, fucking hell, that's perfect, but not out loud. And then I couldn't relax until I knew it was cleared. Um, and that's, and that's great. Cause yeah, that it is seriously the perfect way, the perfect, the perfect song for this episode. Um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, so that does it for the Reddit AMA and everything. And that does it for this bonus episode of anthology, uh, presented by obsessiveviewer.com. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And, uh, next week on, or here in a couple days, actually on the podcast, we'll have my review of, I don't even remember what episode of Twilight Zone I'm covering next time. Um, actually, we're coming up on the end of season one of The Twilight Zone. Uh, A World of His Own is the next episode that's going to be coming out. Um, it's going to be the end of season one. And uh, once again, if you go to anthologypod.com slash survey and uh, give me your answers to um, your favorite, least favorite moments and episodes and, and everything about season one of The Twilight Zone, Go ahead and do that, and we'll I'll, I'll read them on my uh, end of season episode here in a couple weeks. And uh, let's see if that I think that about does it, guys. Um, thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next time. for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more episodes at AnthologyPod.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to the Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.